Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. A musician who's about to make her Broadway debut as the composer of the original score for the new revival of Macbeth, starring Daniel Craig and Ruth Negga. Lee is a singer-songwriter and violinist whose breakout came when she won NPR's Tiny Desk Contest in 2016. Since then, she's gone on to become not only a successful touring musician, but also a prominent advocate for the disabled and for accessibility in the arts. Lee was born with a genetic condition called osteogenesis imperfecta, also known as brittle bone disease, and she's a wheelchair user who's arriving on Broadway at a time of increased awareness of the accessibility issues and inequalities in every area of the business. After all, it was just three years ago, in 2019, that Ali Stroker became the first wheelchair user to be nominated for a Tony Award and the first to win one. Now, Lee is in the virtual studio with me to tell us about making music, breaking barriers, and why theater is kind of her family business. Hi, Galen. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So it sounds like this job, working on a Broadway show, found you rather than the other way around. Tell me a little bit about that. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, so I'm a musician, of course, and I've been, before the pandemic, I was a touring artist full-time and then did a lot of online stuff, but out of the blue, um, last summer I got an email um, from the production team, and they just said we were interested in uh, seeing if you want to score a Broadway show, and they didn't tell me which one it was or anything, and I said, of course, I'd be interested in talking about it, um, and they set up a phone call, I didn't realize at the time, with Sam Gold, right. the director, and um, he told me more about the show, and it was just like, of course I will do that. But I mean, it's, it's actually my first full score in like hmm. in this kind of um, like theater setting. I did a live soundtrack to a film one time, but that was just like a hmm. weekend engagement. It's very different than a Broadway performance uh, that's going to run all summer. So it was definitely a big challenge, but it felt like I couldn't say no. It would be, you know, it's just a great learning experience. It's been really fun. Uh, and when, when you were first talking to Sam he told you he knew the play he told you who was in it like what what was what was the pitch what did he tell you and what was the um the mood that he was hoping to uh create with the music yeah the pitch was basically that he there's a track on one of my more recent albums uh the album is called learning how to stay and the track is uh instrumental fiddle tune like it's traditionally uh finnish traditional tune and Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of play it very differently, kind of like it's a full band, sounds sort of apocalyptic. It's very intense and uh, really dark. And he said that that was sort of the soundtrack he was envisioning for Macbeth. And so he heard it on the subway one day and thought this would be so cool to be able to get live, you know, or not live, I'm going to be pre-recorded, but to have music with the action on the stage. And so we started talking. Um, To be honest, I'm not... You know, this, I live in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, so a lot of the things in terms of, like, who is in the play or, like, 
what else is going on in Broadway. I wasn't really connected to that. So it was really about like this music would fit and does that sound fun to you? And mm. that was uh, definitely um, like the more I thought about it, I had to think about it for a second because it was so out of the range of what I was planning to do for the next year. Um, <laughs> but it was like, well, of course I should definitely try that. It's a cool experience. So I do not regret it. So that's mm. good. Yeah. And that was it actually leads me into my, excuse me, next question, which was, what did you know about Broadway? Had you been to a Broadway show? What was the like, what was your impression of what Broadway is and how it works? Um, no, I have not been to a, I mean, this will be my first Broadway <laughs> show. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of theater. My parents owned a little theater company in Duluth, but it's obviously not Broadway. And so um, I just... I don't know. I, I didn't really know what to expect, I guess. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I, I figured um, it would just be a massively bigger version of all the other kinds of plays that I've seen. And for the most part, that is true. I mean, it's fun because it is also just a play. So being in rehearsals, you're seeing people rehearse theater. And in, in that way, it's it's like any other kind of theater. And that's really cool. But but what I haven't seen yet, I mean, tech starts next week. Yeah. I haven't seen the theater and I haven't seen all the special effects. And like, it's just, it's going to be really cool to see such a large scale production um, and have my music be a part of that. It'll be really fun. Yeah. Was Macbeth the play meaningful at all to you? Did you know it or like it or dislike it? <laughs> I mean, I like Shakespeare, um, but then the more he described it, it's cool. It's, you know, he's obviously making it his own. And so a lot of the preconceived ideas you would have about what a Shakespearean soundtrack would be like is not the case. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's modern sounding instruments and effects and stuff because it's not meant to be stuck um in Shakespeare's time like mm. that's not really it's really fun to to fit the vibe of what's happening on stage but not have to be constrained by um this is what people are expecting when they see Shakespeare you know and how and when in the production will the music be used is it underscoring or like played during scene changes or all of the above it's all of the above it you know we both kind of started out um he gave me a list of cues and I read the script and wrote some ideas for where there could be music. And then we came together and kind of talked it through. And I had a list of about 50 different places where music could come in. And I don't think it'll all end up being exactly where we you know, envisioned when, mm -hmm. um, when we first talked, but it's, there's a lot of music and it kind of, it kind of just flows throughout, which is cool. I mean, um, as far as I know, when you see it in April, it'll be a big part of what sets the mood um, for different scenes. And there's a little bit of singing, which is cool. Um, that wasn't something we were talking about right when we started, but it kind of develops that way. So um, it's fun. And then there's a band. So it's me on my violin. Um, be recorded. Is it all yep. recorded? Entirely yep. recorded. Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah. Um, yep. And so um, there's a band. So I recorded all the parts in Duluth and then sent it off to, I have three people that I'm working with that are just really talented and subtle. And I said, I don't want it to sound like a guitar solo. I want it to sound like an atmospheric piece. And so they all did a really good job of just building the sound out a little more. So it doesn't sound all just like a violin scoring a piece. So it's really fun. And does this recording of elements of this recording have to be able 
to be manipulated on the fly in the case of something taking too long or longer than it usually does, et cetera? Like, yeah. is that something you factor oh my in? God. Yes, that has been the biggest learning part, but it's good. I'm so glad that this is my, like, I mean, I've had this experience now. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, as you know, I had the audio for the first read through. And so, which, you know, they had been rehearsing for a couple of weeks and, and then they had a read through. And so, um, it was pretty, you know, on pace, but on the stage, it just is different and it's going to be different every night. And so I started thinking about how can I create like a bed of sound first <clears throat> and then different, like a bed of sound first and then different cues that can be pressed to come in whenever the word that I want it to happen are. So I kind of, as I was thinking about it, I asked my band to create um, different ambient tracks in the right keys for each theme. There's themes throughout the the play. And so I kind of weave those in and out so that there's always something underneath when I'm scoring. But but it should theoretically feel pretty in sync with what's happening on stage because of the way we've broken it up. I mean, it's pretty massive because it's kind of attempting to have a live band sound without a live band. But, um, but I think it's going to work. I mean, like we're trying it out in rehearsals and um, as I, as I'm getting farther along, because I'm still in the mixing process right now, um, the the engineer is sending me those little broken up parts as separate files, and, and we're working them in to the play. So it's pretty it's pretty cool, but it was uh, daunting to think about how am I going to make this feel live? Because I didn't want it to just be all boring. I mean, sorry, but you know, all just background like ambient stuff. I wanted it to feel like it was going along with the story. And so that's kind of how we worked it out. Yeah. And how would you describe the sound of this show versus how you would characterize the sound of the music that you write for yourself to perform? Um, you know, a lot of my songs um, are folky, like my, you know, I'm a folk songwriter, um, but the instrumental stuff I do, I wouldn't say it's a far cry from that actually. Um, I started out learning how to loop with Alan Sparhawk of the band Low. Um, he lives in Duluth too. And so we had a project for many years together. And sometimes we still get to do stuff uh, occasionally. But he taught me about looping and gave me my first looping pedal. And I yeah. practiced for a bunch of years. And those things, a lot of what I did is I would reinterpret traditional fiddle tunes. But a lot of the sounds that I'm drawn to are not far off from where we're headed with Macbeth. Um, although it's different because it's just underscoring. So it definitely, I have little melody lines for each main theme or character, however you want to think about it, um, that keep recurring. But a lot of it has to do with how do you make each time it comes in sound a little bit different. So it's definitely different than an album or a songwriting, um, way different than that. But um, but it's fun. And the, the songs that are in there um, with singing, I would say, um, like are pretty characteristic of right. my vibe. So yeah. I don't know. Are, are there any moments when the characters sing? Occasionally Shakespeare writes songs. I can't think of any in Macbeth, but there might be some that I'm forgetting. I don't know. That I, I think that's kind of TBD. Um, mm -hmm. So I can't give you a direct answer sure. on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know there, you know, it has to be all by the books with the union and stuff. So I don't know. Right. I'll let yeah. you'll find out when you watch it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how much do you anticipate 
the music being revised and reworked in advance of the opening. You start previews on the 29th and then you'll, you know, get the experience of, well, first you'll go through tech and then start previews on the 29th and see how the music works with audiences. How, how much do you expect work to continue and evolve? I'm assuming that it will, um, you know, it's already evolved quite a lot. Mm. Like there's yeah. a lot of sections that were separate and now they're all connected with mm different underscoring and then I'm going into the studio tomorrow and Saturday to do a couple of cues that didn't exist before. Um, and then when we see it live, I'm sure things will get reworked or moved or possibly cut. I mean, it's a, you know, it really has to support what's on stage because obviously you don't want to be doodling over Daniel Craig and making it hard to hear anything. And so, um, sure. but the, but, you know, the way I did it is everything I sent to Sam, he gave me, the go ahead to send to the band. So he's heard it all. Mm. And so I think we're not starting from like a complete unknown place. Um, I'll be curious. I wasn't actually supposed to be at a lot of the previews, but I think I am going to come back because I'm here until yeah. opening night. Um, right. I think I will probably kind of pop in a few different times and then take notes and see if anything yeah. needs to be moved around. It'll be, I'm really curious how the audience responds so far among the cast and the creative team, it's been a really positive response. And mm. they said that it really supports what's happening, but it's so different. But we're in a little rehearsal space and the big um, theater is going to really change the vibe, I think, yeah. of what happens. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about your background. You mentioned that uh, your parents owned a theater company. Tell us a little bit about that and your memories of that time and of what theater was for you then yeah well i mean theater is a huge part of my family it's just mm. it's funny to be involved again because i hadn't really for a while but um my parents met in a play they met in brigadoon um and then i was born shortly after that and mm. then they did plays um you know all the time when i was growing up and i actually did my first play um when I was seven, I or not even because I couldn't read yet. My dad recorded <laughs> my lines. I did a Mark Twain monologue um, okay. and he recorded my lines on a cassette tape and I listened to them and memorized them that way. And wow. so plays, you know, I did a lot of children's theater and they, when I was 10, opened a dinner theater, which mostly did like small scale musicals and murder mysteries and then some yeah. um, smaller casts like regular plays. Um, so they kind of had a gamut. Um, and and that was a big part of growing up because they, they would go down to this theater, which was on the third floor of like a place that had a bunch of shops and a hotel and a mm -hmm. bunch of different stuff. And so we like kind of grew up there. Like when I, you know, they'd bring us to rehearsal instead of getting a babysitter and we'd, we'd hang out and run. I mean, all the people in the stores knew us uh, like, like their own children probably. And then we, <laughs> We would take like naps before they, you know, because they take forever to rehearse. So we'd sleep on the floor and um, with these little mats that we brought with us. And so we, and then we ushered, I did lights. Oh, oh wow. I, they put you to work. I mean, I guess yeah. that's what parents do. Yeah. Yep. And then I, uh, I, I wrote the, I wrote a murder mystery for them once. Oh, wow. And I also did a couple of the shows. I was in the band for a couple of them. So like, it was very much a part of our family's, uh, fabric or whatever so it's really fun and then after high school i did my last play senior year of high school i was in a shakespeare play i don't even remember which one it was so don't <laughs> it wasn't macbeth for sure, sure um yeah. it was a comedy and mm -hmm. um 
and then I didn't do any theater ever again. So um, it's, you know, I would go to my parents' place, but they retired maybe five or six years ago now. So, um, yeah, so it's just a really weird, like, full circle moment to be back. And in such a different capacity with nothing in between, it's like, whoa. (laughs) So it's fun, but very surreal. And you, uh, rather than work on theater, you, you sort of devoted yourself to music, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I I liked theater, but I mean, it is a huge commitment. And I didn't, I mean, I wasn't like the world's best actress or whatever. And when I started performing, it gives you the same kind of energy, at least it does for me, where you feel very alive and in the moment and, and you're connecting with the audience. But it's just, I don't know, music was just kind of the way that I felt, I don't know, really drawn to that. So when I started performing, I was glad that I found it because I, you know, I was in an orchestra all the way from fifth grade and through high school and stuff. And then I would do fiddle jams. But when I started performing as a, an artist who sings and you're on a stage and it's an audience that, that kind of like filled the void, I think of where theater had, had been such an important part of growing up. Cause I did a lot of plays. I mean, I probably was in like 16 or 17 plays oh. um, before high school ended. So it wasn't like a small part of growing up. And this kind of filled that area for me. I'll have more with Galen right after the break. And now here's more with the musician Galen Lee. Do you feel like your own music is theatrical in any way and that the theatricality factors into your own work? You know, what's funny is I never thought that. And I, but I had been told that a lot of times, like Mm. um, even the songs that I sing, you know, obviously I kind of thought, oh, the background, they're like the instrumentals. There's a few that I'm like, that would be cool to see in a film or whatever. But the singing songs, um, I've been like, you should write a musical. Like I've heard people tell me that before. And I guess it, probably they probably are they're not like long ballads they usually do yeah I guess they probably are theatrical but I don't know why I mean I guess just growing up I mean I grew up around a lot of show tunes and stuff so I suppose everything just kind of shapes the way you write so it's it's cool to have this experience because who knows what I'll do next now and it's been kind of fun to think about different ways to use music and and like having it be in a play or a soundtrack of a film or whatever, like it's a different, you're not performing it live. So it's a little bit different, but it's not less, it feels so creative. I mean, it's been really fun to make, have this roadmap of a script and like Mm. try to really, how do you support that moment? And then getting in the room with the director and seeing where your ideas aligned and where they were maybe not the same, you know, like that. It's just, it's been really creative and fun. So I definitely want to do something like this again someday. I think it's been really cool. Do you have a favorite musical? Were there shows that uh, you grew up with that were particularly uh, meaningful to you? Um, well, you know, my parents, uh, they did the All Night Strut when I was pretty little. And it's it's like a musical review of the 40s. So I've been really into big band music like my whole life, basically. And then for me personally, I was obsessed with Les Miserables when I was 13. Okay. Um, like obsessed at the soundtrack oh really okay good. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, like sure. I don't know if that's no. normal but no oh yeah uh, yeah okay <laughs> so that that's the, probably the most uh memorable or like impactful 
right. musical for me. Um, and then we, you know, I, I don't know if we actually like saw a lot of the music. I mean, we saw these little ones that my parents did, but it wasn't like the big full cast ones, but we were around the show tunes because they would go perform like a musical review at different parties and stuff. And so I grew up around those songs, but I can't tell you like that's from this play. Oh yeah. That's from this play. So I have a lot of those songs in my brain, but not with a lot of context. Yeah. 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 Um, you're also a disability advocate and an advocate for accessibility in the yeah. arts. And what's your impression of Broadway right now in terms of its accessibility? Um, I mean, I think I'm lucky because Sam really cares about that, you know, yeah. um, I think he has some personal experience with disability in his life and um, and he's just done a good job from what I've read. You know, I, I didn't know who he was when he asked, sure. of course, because <laughs> yeah. I felt so bad, but they didn't even tell me I was talking to him. Like they, I thought I was talking with the producers on our first call. So yeah. when he answered, I was like, oh, so then after our call, I was Googling and I was like, oh, yeah, looked him up. Uh, yes, it was bad. But um, <laughs> and he knows that. So I, can, I feel OK saying that in yeah. real life. But he you know, I'm not a New Yorker, so what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, he's incorporated disability in ways that I don't think are super common, at least from what I understand, yeah. in Broadway, or maybe it's moving towards that. Um, and so every time I've had an, a, a question about accessibility, they've already thought of it, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But I can't say that I know anything about if that's normal um, on Broadway. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, I really want to see my dream. And this is something that I grew up around. And I guess I've never really talked about it is we did this thing in Duluth, which kind of ahead of its time in the late 80s, early 90s. So I was in a lot of these plays called Access Theater and half the cast was disabled and half the cast wasn't. And um, and then the coolest part to me is they had ASL interpreters. But my dad was the director of a bunch of those plays and he and it wasn't for children. It was like adults. I was one of the only kids in the cast a lot of times. But um he would have the ASL interpreters kind of mirror, like follow the characters around on stage so that you weren't just mm-hmm. looking off to the side. And um, and so they would be wearing black still, um, but they would be, there would be two of them and they'd be kind of offset mm-hmm. play, playing different characters. And so in like my dream world, stuff like that would happen. And I don't, I mean, that's not probably going to happen in this play. And I don't, I know they're going to have some interpreted plays. So that's cool. Um yeah. But I just I think it's really fun to think about how can you be creative with accessibility in a way that's like above and beyond or like maybe not done all the time. Um, that'd be my dream. But so far, every time I've had a question about like, well, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Is this going to be accessible? Um, the answer has always been yes. So that's really cool. Um, but I mean, that's I mean, I got to say in the music industry more generally, that's often not the case. And yeah. They're learning at a very, I mean, um, I've been part of a disability group uh, that I helped found called Ramped. It's Recording Artists and Music Professionals with Disabilities. And we've actually been working with the Recording Academy to talk about how to make the Grammys more accessible, Hmm. um, like on screen and off. And they're, they're, I mean, I got to give them credit. They've been really um, open and willing to learn and excited about the possibilities. Uh, We'll see how it ends up in a couple of weeks here, like what they end up being able to do. Um, but, but they're, lear- you know, they're learning and it seems like everywhere is like that, where it's not stuff that they already knew. And I think that that is a shame in 2022 that we, we just haven't talked about it enough where people literally are just like, Oh, I've never thought of that. And so we should have thought of it by now, but at least there are some key players that are 
at least willing to start thinking about it. And that's a change that I think 10 years ago, even probably you can have said was real, you know, even when I started, you know, there, most places weren't accessible, didn't have a plan to become accessible. And um, at least now, a lot of places are realizing that they kind of have to start talking about it. Yeah, yeah, that's something that Broadway in general is thinking about, particularly not just uh, in the house, but also backstage. I don't know if you've been backstage at the Longacre yet, but there's not yet. warrens of rooms and there are all these stairs and they're, you know, it's like cramped and tight and it's just, uh, it is a challenge to accessibility. And so yeah. when, as you, I know you make a point of only playing accessible venues and you've had to think sort of outside the box uh, in order to do that sometimes. What are some lessons that you learned from doing that that you feel like, oh, these are things that every should everybody should be thinking about in performance venues? Well, I think the first thing is that if you keep playing at inaccessible places, they aren't going to change. So like um, I kept thinking if I just like told them about it and then they had time to think about it the next time I would come back, they would do it, but they wouldn't. So um, I think the biggest thing is that if you're a, non-disabled performer it's really important to start real like recognizing that it's not just on the disabled artist to be mm -hmm. setting these kind of guidelines i really would love to see a campaign of established and and beginning it doesn't matter but like mm -hmm. some like some higher profile people making the same commitment because it's i mean i'm just one person and um obviously it would be probably more impactful if somebody with a lot more press than me made the same stance, you know? And so, um, so that's the first thing. And then the other thing is just like accessibility of the stage. I think there's this misunderstanding that as long as you can get up there, it's equal access. And like a lot of the ways people get up there is by being carried and you just don't carry other artists on stage. That's just not, I mean, yes, you can do the show and and, and I think it's a powerful thing to just be out there doing your art, but you shouldn't have to be carried. But it took me a while to get to that point. You know, I performed for a few years really regularly, like full-time touring before I decided like, I this isn't changing. And that's why I did it. I was like, it's never gonna change, I guess, if you don't start demanding things be different. Um, but that does limit where I can play. And I think that maybe the biggest lesson I've learned is just how much people haven't thought of it and mm -hmm. why it's important to talk about it because when people witness, like I played at the Mercury Lounge in New York City a couple of years ago yeah. and um, they had said they'd get a ramp and it wasn't, it was not safe and mm -hmm. way too steep. And then the bathroom wasn't really accessible and, and my green room was in the mop closet. And so <laughs> like there was a lot of issues with that show. Um, and then when people find out about that, they're like, oh, that's terrible. But they literally had no idea. Right. And I've played hundreds of shows like that. And so um, I think it's just a matter of artists have to start saying stuff. And it's hard because you don't want to come off as like the pain, the pain artist or the artist that's uh, complaining or whatever. But if nobody talks about it, then like really nothing changes. And so because nobody even realizes that it's an issue. You can't fix something if you don't know it's a problem, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been interesting trying to raise awareness because when you talk about it, people do care, I think. It's just that they never had it on their radar before. So, yeah.
Yeah. It's weird. And you've also played some unconventional venues. It sounds like you've played some churches. You've played some oh, yeah. you know, places that places that are fully accessible. And, yeah. Well, because when I started booking, you know, I at this point in my career, I'm pretty DIY, so I have a booking assistant who helps me. But I pretty much like am I'm pretty mm -hmm. hands on in what I'm doing. Um, and so before COVID, the last tour we did, I think, or maybe the last one before that was. We basically called it the Unitarian Church Tour because um, Unitarians are ex very accessible a lot of the times. And so at least in my experience, so we played, uh, me and my guitarist did like six shows at churches that time. And then we had other venues sprinkled in. Um, but accessibility, um, because it is a priority, there are some towns where it really, there isn't really a place. And I'm not like, oh, it has to be personally at this point, maybe eventually I will, but I want to work with people who want to make it accessible. So if everything else, like people can get in the door, they can go to the bathroom, they can see the stage. If they don't have a ramp to the stage, I'll play on the ground, but it's awkward for them. And that's so, but that's fine. Cause that's like the whole point is for them to think about what, why am I on the ground and not on the stage? Um, <laughs> but I'm not like trying to shame or belittle places. I understand that maybe they're going to start thinking about how to get a ramp then because they couldn't the first time. Um, but there are some venues that are just so far out of the realm of accessible that um, it's, I don't feel good playing there. So it does limit where you can play. Yeah. So. And are you, have you returned to playing live yet? Uh, post, post shutdown, I guess. I've done a couple outdoor concerts and I think this fall, I probably will do a few um, but we were pretty locked out. I mean, I'm pretty small. And so bef especially before the vaccine, um, I was not doing things out in public. I did like a hundred shows online at a weekly series that ran for like 18 months or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't comfortable doing the indoor thing. And I think I probably will start uh, doing some stuff in the fall, but I, I'm working on a memoir. And so um, it's kind of like a convenient time to just actually focus on that when I get home. I'm not working on one right now because right now, 100% of my life is dedicated to this play. But um, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I want to get back on the road, but I also want to be safe. And I also don't want to make people put themselves at risk, especially in the disability community. Um, when I do go back, I want to think about how I can do some hybrid stuff or continue to reach those people that aren't yet comfortable going back out. And so you'll be in New York for the next month and a half or so, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you go back to working on your memoir. Is that the is that what's next for you? Yep. Yep. I mean, I have some gigs uh, lined up in Minnesota when mm -hmm. I get home. But yeah, primarily it'll be working on that. And then eventually I'll get to release the soundtrack of this music, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, um, I was going to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, not quite yet. And then. Right. Yeah, hopefully just writing music and working on that book and eventually getting back on the road when it makes sense yeah. to do that. And you said you might be interested in doing Broadway again, maybe sometime, something like this again sometimes. Honestly, yeah, it's been it's been such a good experience. And my recording engineer in Duluth, he's the one that recorded me ahead of time because I did a ton of recording before mm -hmm. we left. Um, he's like, well, I didn't learn how to do all this to only do it once. Like, yeah. yeah, so both of us kind of feel like, well, this was a good learning curve and like now why would we not want to try something like that again so i it's really fun it's a and the cast has been so cool i mean i'm not i live under an actual rock so i'm not like 
a person who's seen every Daniel Craig movie or Ruth Nega movie or anything, but they're wonderful and the cast has been just really welcoming and it's a cool communal experience to be involved in a play. Um, and so it would be fun to do something like this again, for sure. I've really, and Sam is just like an amazing director. It's really, really fun to see this being shape up. So I, yeah, I'd definitely be interested in doing this again. Yeah. And people are always encouraging you to write a musical. Do you have any interest? Is that a thing you would be interested in? Yeah. I mean, now that I've seen it and now that I have, you know, it kind of feels daunting, like, oh, invent a musical. But what I'm realizing is if you were to have the script in front of you, a lot of the inspiration comes from the script. I mean, like I wrote um, a lot, a lot of the themes are just like, you think about the character and then a theme appears. And so yeah, it's something that I think I would want to try. Not without, like, being scared, of course, because a lot of these are, um, you're like, I don't know, would it work? But I think it's important to try. And now that I kind of understand where the music comes from, mm. it's just, like, the script and the inspiration of the characters, um, I think I probably could do it. I don't know if I knew enough before to feel comfortable saying, yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, we look forward to hearing the new musical when it happens. Or yeah, the mean, that but in the meantime, uh, we are looking forward to uh, seeing, hearing the music uh, during Macbeth, and then when we get to hear it uh, in the in the cat. I'm gonna call it a cast album. I don't know what it's called. We oh, I don't know. I guess it's a score. It's not a soundtrack. We can't call it a soundtrack. Bro you know, it kind of is like a soundtrack, yeah. but I guess you call it a score. It's yeah, yeah. It's really it's fun. I have so many plans for that because I. I've just been thinking about how, because I really, like a lot of the people I know aren't going to come out to New York because I'm in Minnesota. And so just thinking about how I can present it where it kind of feels mm. like it connects to the play. I'm really excited about thinking of that, but that's definitely not now. Further and yeah. now I got to just make sure everything is ready to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to hearing it. Thanks so much. Gail. Thank Thanks you. Have a wonderful me. day. Yeah, thank Thanks. you. You too. Yeah. That was Galen Lee, the composer of the original score for the starry Broadway revival of Macbeth, starting previews at the Long Acre Theatre, March 29th. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theatre as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend about Stagecraft. Or give us a shout-out on social media. Find past episodes and subscribe on all the pod places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 